Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey guys, Dr. Hondor here, and I'm so excited about this week's episode. Oh my goodness. So I had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Adia Gooden, who is a psychologist who has a similar trajectory. And to me, we met in an online course creation or an online program creation course. And she has an amazing TED Talk and course and podcast all around developing unconditional self-worth. And this is an incredibly important topic that, frankly, all humans need to hear and need to work on. So I imagine that this is not the first time you've heard someone talk about the importance of developing a positive self-concept or valuing your own self-worth. And maybe you've even heard messages about self-love and how important it can be. And maybe you've even watched the Stuart Smalley SNL skit a couple years ago and tried affirmations like his, you know, silly skit is I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. I actually had not seen that video until recently as I was prepping for this episode. I have run a group for years in the healthcare system for people that struggle with stress eating. And we would talk about self-compassion and we'd talk about changing your thoughts to yourself. And I often heard this, this message of like, well, isn't, does that eat really work? Like, it's just sort of this silly Stuart Smalley, like I'm good enough. And so I finally looked up the video and I linked it in the show notes if you want to check it out. But essentially this is not just some, you know, silly self-talk strategy. This is important, and it's, this is really pivotal, to be honest. And in all seriousness, Dr. Gooden has some amazingly practical strategies that you can start implementing today that just might change your life. So make sure you hear the whole conversation and stay till the end. Of course, I'm going to always review your main takeaways. I really think that this, if you at least take one strategy away from here and give it a try, I think it's going to make a big difference for you. Cultivating unconditional self-worth is so incredibly essential for living a life consistent with your values. And I know I learned a lot. I realized that I can take this a step deeper for myself. And 
I am pretty pumped about implementing this in my life. So, you know, if you know me at all, you know, I'm very practical and very not super into like affirmations. I want to know if the evidence supports it and the evidence very, very much supports this. So tune in, settle in, get excited. This is a great conversation. Before we dive in, if you're new here, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. You might be wondering what this blog and podcast are really all about. What are we talking about self-worth? Why is it called Motivation Made Easy? So we relate everything in this podcast back to motivation, but not the hustle and grind kind of motivation. We talk about truly sustainable motivation that keeps you feeling energized and engaged in your life for the long haul. We talk about why I'm just not motivated as a myth and what type of motivation it really is what is so pivotal to understand. So if you're ready to dive in and learn more about motivation, respecting your body in an effective way so you can live a life that you truly love, you're in the right place, check out our foundational episodes of the podcast in the show notes, or you can go to drhondorp.com forward slash one, and you'll get the first episode there. You'll get the background, the theory behind everything we talk about, and you can check that out here today. And just as a reminder, this blog and podcast is all for educational and informational purposes only and is not to be construed as any form of professional or medical advice. So before we dive in, I got to read you guys a quote from my journal a couple years ago. The quote that I found was, I'm terrified I'm wasting my life. And I wrote this in a journal in the middle of the diet binge cycle. And frankly, I was wasting my life a little bit. I was disconnected, I was distracted, I was thinking about food and calories all the time, and I had a gazillion food journals completed with nothing to show for it except frustration and self-loathing. I'm here to tell you it's never too late to gain control of your eating, respect your body, and live a life that's truly consistent with your values and the person you want to be, but you need to take the first step. One of the very first steps in developing truly autonomous autonomous and body respecting motivation is to clarify what actually matters to you. Not your mom, not your sister, not your best friend, you. The more you reflect on this, the more you can connect what matters to you to how you eat, how you live in a sustainable and empowering way. So grab my free guide to get started with this at drhondorp.com forward slash goals. Get started today. I promise it's never too late to stop dieting and start living. You won't regret this one. All right. So on with the show. I'm so, so excited. All right. So today I have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Adia Gooden. Dr. Gooden received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Stanford University and her PhD in clinical community psychology from DePaul University. And she delivered an amazing TED talk that you should definitely watch entitled Cultivating Unconditional Self-Worth. As of today, the recording has over 750,000 views, which is pretty incredible. And I'm not surprised after having watched it myself. She recently left academia and became an entrepreneur. And she has an excellent podcast called Unconditionally Worthy as well as an online program. That's how she and I connected. We took the same uh, course to learn how to deliver online programs. And her program helps people discover the power of their unconditional self-worth. 
She is a native of Southern California, but currently resides in Chicago with her fiance. And she's got a wedding coming up very soon. And she um, also loves music and summer festivals. They spark immense joy in her life. And she loves cooking and dancing. So welcome, welcome to the Motivation Made Easy podcast, Dr. Gooden. So, so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate you having me. Well, I, we have so much good to talk about today. And so let's dive in. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story? Sure. So, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty comfortable, happy household and like community and sort of on the outside, things were great. Um, but I often felt like, I was unlovable or unworthy and I felt left out. And so I really sort of struggled with this on my own internally and decided that, you know, I needed to try to be perfect, right? Like that was going to be the solution that that was going to make me lovable. It would make me be included with friends. It would make me good at school, all of those things. And so I really spent decades on that path, right? the path of an attempt at perfectionism that, you know, was stressful and I was anxious a lot of time and I overworked and it wasn't all bad. I certainly had a lot of really positive experiences growing up. Um, But it sort of wasn't until I got to graduate school that I really started to realize that this wasn't going to work. Right. And the sort of ultimate moment for me was, after I defended my dissertation, right? So I had reached sort of this ultimate academic success point and went in feeling like, okay, this is it. I'm going to feel worthy after this. I'm going to be good enough after this. I'm going to feel proud of myself. And I, you know, my dissertation defense was okay. It wasn't super positive. Um, It wasn't super negative. I passed the defense, but I walked out of the room and started sobbing because I just, it didn't do it. It didn't make me feel worthy. It didn't fill the hole. It didn't fill the void. And I tried to do this with academic accomplishments. I also tried to do it with relationships. And that was sort of a turning point for me because it still took me a little while longer to figure this unconditional self-worth thing out, but it made me realize that these external things were not going to make me feel worthy. They weren't going to fill that void that I was searching and trying to fill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just as I appreciate you, well, I appreciate so much of how, how you share it and what you do, but especially even in that example of like this, all the things you did, all the things you went to Stanford, you got your PhD, you finished your dissertation and it still wasn't enough. And even just directly related to what we talk about in this podcast, so many people in so many ways, but definitely with weight loss, we're like, once I lose this amount of weight or look Mm. this way, it'll be enough. And it's incredibly disappointing when that is not the case, right? Because it almost never is. And so there's some parallels there. Um, And yeah, and so that obviously propelled you to on your path now. you have been very, as I've sort of alluded to, very vulnerable and authentic in what you share online, in your podcast, your TED Talk, all of that. When did you start to decide it was start to time to start being more open and vulnerable? And what has that process been like for you? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think, you know, seeing so many similar experiences in my clients helped, right? Because I worked for a while, I worked at, um, 
the counseling center at one of the top universities in the country. And so I was working with undergraduate and graduate students who were incredibly high achieving and struggling with some of the same things I had struggled with. And often when we struggle with these things, we think we're the only ones and realizing the power of like knowing, no, it's not just you, you're not alone in it. It's, it's really helpful for people to hear that somebody else has experienced the same thing because they can start to feel like, well, if that person feels that way and I think that's ridiculous for them to feel unworthy or I think it's ridiculous for them to feel unlovable, maybe there's something that's not true about me feeling that way about myself. And so I think, you know, I've generally been somebody who shares openly. I think it's been interesting as a clinical psychologist because we're really taught to kind of have these firm boundaries and not share very much about ourselves. And I still sort of hold on to the principle that if I share, it's it shouldn't just be because I just feel like sharing. It should be in service, right? If it's in service of someone's growth and progress, someone feeling less alone, someone, you know, connecting to their unconditional self-worth, then it feels valuable. And so that is definitely something that guides my sharing. And it has been interesting for me as a therapist because I have some clients who follow me on social media and they're not super vocal about it, but it's like, yeah, you're learning more about me than normally I would disclose in a therapeutic relationship, but it has not felt like a hindrance. I feel like it's been helpful to say like, Hey, I've struggled with the same things. This is what I've tried. I want you to try it. (laughs) I'm not just telling you this from a place of not knowing. I'm telling you from a place of deeply understanding the pain that you may be experiencing. Yeah, I love that. And I think so it sounds like you were always somewhat more of an open person. It wasn't like you all of a sudden just started sharing one day, but it was kind of a gradual process of sharing more and particularly on these more open platforms now over the past couple of years. I think your TED talk was like a handful. I think Mm -hmm. it was pre-pandemic anyway. But um, yeah, it's really interesting because I've had somewhat of a similar experience, although mine's been more recent where it's like I had worked through and shared a lot of my story and and therapy and with like loved ones. So it wasn't like a secret in my personal life, but I didn't share it that openly in my clinical work because, well, or just even in professional settings, it didn't feel real relevant. But then I started to think like I had access to all the evidence-based cognitive behavioral act strategies, but what helped me the most was like hearing stories Mm. of people that overcame body shame and disordered eating and all of that. And I'm like, well, why am I holding back this Mm. thing that partly because I was afraid that someone would view me as unprofessional really is the main thing that was holding me back at that point. And then I was like, but when did we get it in our head that we can't be professional psychologists and humans? And where did that come from? And then really starting to be like, "Eh, I'm just going to give it a go. And Uh um, Uh it's actually been like very personally freeing in a way that I didn't really anticipate. And I don't know if that's been the case for you. Like, I, I feel like I'm like, I can just be myself in all the Mm -hmm. settings. It's been pretty nice. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think where it came from is the fact that psychology was founded by upper-class white cis straight men, Mm -hmm. right? And, And there was the belief that you could be objective and that they were objective and that, you know, there was 
less of sort of like being in relationship with people and more treating people. And so from that more medical model, I think we get this, like, don't show yourself, be a blank slate, et cetera. And I, I agree, it is really liberating to sort of break out of those confines, right? And, you know, obviously in an ethical way, but to challenge the idea that we don't or we shouldn't bring ourselves into therapy um, and to sort of feel like, no, there really is power in us sharing in a way that supports our clients and being more open and not feeling so restricted and constrained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just started to like really wrap my head around the fact that like so much of what we've learned is like we can challenge it and we we should, right? And, and actually makes me think of the concept of autonomy, which is what we talk about all the time in this podcast and how like as a maybe society and, and certainly as a country, we're so bad at like supporting autonomy. It's like this external sort of, I guess you could say patriarchal idea of like some external source knows the right thing mm. and they're going to tell you the thing, um, mm. whether it's related to your eating or your health or just like how to overcome self-worth. We'll do these little strategies and or think about yourself in this way versus the being a transactional process of the person knowing what's best for them. And, mm-hmm. and even us as professionals knowing what's best for maybe us and perhaps our, the people we're influencing. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's all very um, fascinating and sort of interesting, at least for me to like gradually be wrapping my head around. That's sort of where I'm at with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think it relates, certainly relates to self-worth as well, right? I think often we internalize negative messages. We internalize the idea that if we're smart, if we're successful in traditional ways, if we look a certain way, if we're thin, then we're worthy, then we're okay, then we're lovable. And a lot of what I think about and work with people on around self-worth is how do you be in relationship with yourself? How can you learn to trust yourself again? How can you be kind and compassionate to yourself? And, And being in relationship to yourself relates to autonomy. It's like letting go of these outside sources of expertise and really, you know, connecting to your own internal wisdom, your intuition, your values, how you want to show up for and with yourself. That's really powerful. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, we're definitely, I want to get into some of the specifics that you share with people because I, I, you have, and everyone should listen to your podcast as well. Um, how related to this idea of like storytelling, how in, important do you think storytelling is to cultivating this unconditional self-worth? Yeah, I think storytelling is powerful. I think we, um, maybe not totally unconsciously, but we, you know, subconsciously tell ourselves story. We make meaning all the time. And when we're caught up in sort of negative head spaces, the meaning that we make is often mean, unfair to ourselves. And, and we sort of can create this narrative of, I suck, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, I'm a failure, I'm blah, 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 blah. All of these stories, right? I'm lazy, I'm whatever. And it really is powerful to shift the narrative. One of the things that I do in my course is I have people write their self-worth story in the first module, and then I have them rewrite it in the last module after they've gone through some of the practices. And it was really exciting to hear about course members say like, my story is so different. Now that I'm sort of grounded in self-compassion and my values, I'm reframing what has happened to me. I'm acknowledging the positive things, right? I'm acknowledging my successes and my wins and not just so focused on the challenges and failures. And so 
I think the narratives that we hold on to affect how we see ourselves and affect what we think can happen in the future. Yeah, I love that. I can imagine that being incredibly powerful. And we definitely do a bit of that in my course, although we could potentially do more. And it's just, um, it's it's powerful stuff. That's awesome. Um, how do you think, you know, we talked about touch tiny bit on this, but like your relationship with food and, and your body, how, how do you see this fitting into all of this? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, you know, I, for a, a long time, I always sort of felt like I need to lose 10 pounds. I need to lose 10 pounds. I cannot, if I'm really honest, I'm like, uh, I probably still feel that way. Um, it's hard but not I, to it, in our society, it's but hard it's, not to have it, that. Yeah. Feeling. Yes. It, it is hard, but I think what has helped is, well, I think there's a couple of things, right? So one, if I'm being honest, I'm a small person, right? So I've always had size privilege. That is, that's something that I have grown up with. And I understand more now than I did when I was younger, that, that there, there are privileges that come with. Oh, I like size being- privilege. I've heard thin privilege and I'm like, but what if you don't identify as thin? Anyway, I, I have not heard that term before. I like that. Sorry, yeah, right. That's yeah. Cool. So it's like, I know that that's a privilege. So even in the points when I've been like, I should lose 10 pounds or whatever, I'm still benefiting from being a small person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not experiencing some of the discrimination that people experience when they are larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I think that's useful to acknowledge. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I have found when I tried to like, do diets where I count calories. It just doesn't, it just does not turn out well in the sense of like, I'm starving, I'm irritable, I'm grumpy. And so I just, I cannot, (laughs) I am not able to stick with that, which is probably for good reason because my body's like, no, you need more food. uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I definitely think that our society has said, like, if you're thin and you're attractive, you will be successful, you will be loved. And if you're not, you know, there's all these associations about like ways that you're unworthy because you weigh more. And that, and I think, you know, that can be internalized. You, as I just mentioned, you can literally be treated differently, which is this very real pain point Mm -hmm. that is about society's issue and not about you know, your personal size, but it's still a real pain point that people have to navigate. And so I do think that there's a lot of interaction between our relationships with our bodies and our sense of worthiness, right? And a lot of, one of the things I talk about, I talk a lot about self-compassion. I've sort of added in a fourth component in addition to the sort of three, the common humanity, the self-kindness and the mindfulness, which is honoring your body because I think so many of us have fraught relationships with our bodies because of societal messages and we don't nourish ourselves and we overexercise or we whatever punish ourselves physically. And so there's, there is a lot of interaction there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, such a huge, um, well, pain point, but also I, I often depict it sort of as like this, the, the roots of the tree are really what you talk about all the time, which is unconditional self-worth and then like the tree branches can look different but um body shame and the struggle and can definitely be one but so often people get so caught up in the branches and that's the problem that's the problem that's the problem that they never actually get to 
the actual problem, which is really what you are actively addressing, which is why I think what you do is so incredibly important. And, and then of course there's other branches that can be, um, that, that people can try to fall into, like you said, sort of external achievements to solve the self-worth problem. If I just get one more degree or certification, or if I'm just perfect in all these areas, then. And so it's all really just ineffective because it's never going to actually solve the problem. And certainly I would put almost any attempt to, you know, with the way we traditionally think about dieting and weight loss is almost always ineffective um, for mm-hmm. a bunch of reasons, mostly biological and, and, but somewhat of just this like mindset piece of the pressure and, and feeling like it's, mm-hmm. I'm not choosing this. I'm not nourishing myself. I am doing this because I should. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I guess along those lines, you know, we've, we, you've talked a lot about these, like proving your worth with the external means and how it can apply to all these different areas we're talking about. What is your best advice for people that want to stop holding themselves back, but they feel like they need to like improve my confidence or self-worth first before they move forward and do the thing, the brave, vulnerable thing before they put themselves out there. Mm. What do you usually tell them? Yeah. I, you know, I think that these things sort of, um, interact, right. That there's, there's utility to spending time with yourself, right. Developing a supportive mentally and emotionally safe relationship with yourself before taking a big risk, Mm -hmm. because basically you want to be there and with yourself, regardless of what happens. And if you are not, if you're really caught up in self-criticism and shame and all of these things, then you take a big risk. And let's say it just doesn't work out the way you want it to. It's going to be harder to like recover because you don't have that safe internal space that says, Hey, I'm worthy regardless. Yes, this didn't work out, but it doesn't make me unworthy. Right. And so I think it is useful to spend time practicing self-compassion, right? Practicing self-forgiveness. Some of these things that I talk a lot about because that provides this foundation so that when you take these risks, when you go for things that are important, you're there, you know, you have that foundation. I also don't think that you need to hold yourself back from living life until, right? There's, there can be this sort of create, turning this into another achievement. Like I've got to achieve it perfectly. I got to perfectly be grounded in my worth and then I can do things. And until then I won't do anything. Right. And so it's, it is this balance of like, yeah, you want to, you want to go for things. It's like, uh, if a kid is learning to swim, you don't say like, okay, sit on the sidelines and do all these exercises. And then we figure out you're perfectly done. And then you just jump in the deep end. Right. We say, okay, like, get in the shallow end, practice some of this stuff with some assistance and knowing that you're safe and you work your way up, right? So you can sort of do more and more and more as you support yourself. And what you also may find is that you may be feeling really grounded in your worthiness at certain level, like you have a really stable job. And then let's say you lose that job and you realize, Ooh, I was putting some of my worth into this job. And so now I have a little bit more work to do to shore up you know, my sense of worthiness outside of this role or this position and things like that will happen. So it can be sort of an evolution. Yeah. I like that. It's, it's so common for all of us to put it into like, 
the check boxes or sort of like the finite, like I'm either working on myself or I'm working on my relationship or I'm working on my um, relationship first. And then, I'll, you know, it's like, no, we're always kind of working on our, our relationship with ourselves as the foundation. But I do appreciate that too, because I think sometimes people might hear this idea of like, you're an, I don't think I do it, but I might accidentally perpetuate it of like, just, just do the thing. And it's always like this trusting yourself process, working on your relationship with yourself as you gradually move towards versus just like, just suck it up and do it. And if it goes terribly and that can reinforce, you know, really challenging thinking patterns, which doesn't really serve in the long term. So it's like this balance, but yeah, not avoiding. And that's why it's challenging because there's no like exact roadmap for each human. It's just going to depend on a lot of factors. So exactly, exactly. Um, what are some of the ways that you see, um, yourself or others get in the way on their path towards maybe feeling more unconditionally worthy? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, perfectionism, right. So turning it sort of what I was just mentioning, turning it into an achievement, into Mm -hmm. something that they can do right or wrong. Um, you know, it was interesting with my course hearing about people who are scared to start because they were scared they might fail. Right. So sort of treating this process as we treat other processes, which are like, you get a grade, you do it right. You do it wrong. And it can be hard to shift out of that mode since so much of our lives are oriented that way. And so that, that can be hard, right? If people feel like, oh, I could fail at this. And the reality is there's no failing at this, right? You will always be in relationship with yourself. It's just, how do you orient around it? How do you show up for it? And even if you have a day when you are, yeah, not great to yourself, you, the next day you can be great to yourself or the next moment you can. And so sort of orienting around it as like an outcome goal achievement thing really can get in the way, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think, you know, not taking the time and space to connect to values, right? I know we both do act work, right? But connect to values and intention and thinking about the things you're moving towards instead of, you know, getting caught up in, in the fear and moving away from, right? So that's what you just mentioned with the like, avoiding, right? That can be this place where people stay of like avoiding sort of moving forward with their lives or pursuing their dreams or their values because of this fear. And that will also kind of hold people back, I think. Yeah, definitely. Or doing it because of someone else's values or what we think we should do and not realizing, oh, wow, this is not really what I want. Um, and in going to what you said earlier, I think that this, I, I actually, I just listened to Brene Brown interviewing Simon Sinek and he has a new book mm. called um, The Infinite Mindset. And it, it mm. just similar to, I think, growth versus fixed mindset, but it's this idea mm. of like, so much of our world is finite and like mm-hmm. outcomes and goals and even like business wise, like every quarter and all of this and, and really shifting away from that. And certainly in the work that I do with folks like this idea of like, they almost get to this point where they're like, oops, I didn't mean to say should, or oops, I didn't mean mm-hmm. to like um, say a diet mentality thought. And, and it's just, as opposed to just being like, uh, it's not like we're ever there per se. I think you get to the point where you're very much more in tune with your body and you're more confident in that area. But especially when you go to that next layer of self-worth, like it's, it's, it's a continual process, like for the rest of your life. And then you, especially if you continue to pursue new growth challenges, like it's going to 
keep coming up and that's fine and you can handle it. And um, so, yeah, I like, it's always a good reminder, I think for all of us mm-hmm. that it's, it's never done, but not in like a, you know, it, it becomes like, it can be a little bit like overwhelming at times. Like, oh man, this is still hard. But, yeah. and I don't know if you experience that occasionally I do, but mostly I'll feel like optimistic and good about it. But sometimes you're like, wait a second, I just want this to be easier. Mm. And Yeah. And- yeah. I think it's, it's sort of, it's more of a way of orienting towards life, mm-hmm. a way of sort of engaging in the journey versus the destination. And, you know, I, yes, I have moments where it's like, oof, that was hard or that hurt. And what's encouraging is that I know the tools to use, that I am able to quickly move into being kind to myself, move into self-compassion. And I found that moves me out of that moment much more quickly than if I started beating myself up or like all of that. It's sort of having that agency to say, okay, I have a choice here. I could beat myself up over this. I could be kind. I could recognize I've been beating up myself up and pivot. And that that is what makes life feel better. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I think it's important for people to hear, because I think it's like, yeah, I still, I have moments, but they're usually faster progression, right? Like you're like, oh, okay. Like I'm feeling vulnerability hangover of putting myself out there online. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. I name it like, and it's usually not a huge thing for too long. And so when I get my first like troll online, you talk to me after that. We'll see how I handle that. I don't know. I don't know that I'll handle that that well, but I sure yeah, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to hurt, you know, hopefully I'll be able to move through it. <laughs> but that's the quick-ish. thing. It's, 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 it'll hurt, but you can also remember, like, there's also a lot of people I'm helping yeah. and there's a lot of people that are benefiting from this same post. And, you know, it's, I have those people on my, on the, like, TEDx talk. And I, I was going to say, point, you have like, to, because like, them, and then I was like, I'm not going to look through these things. Like some people aren't going to like it and that's okay. It's not for them, but that doesn't mean that what I did was wrong or what I said was invaluable because there's also a lot of people who do find it helpful mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm going to focus on them. Yeah. Do you find that's been easier over time to do, or, I mean, part of you, like there's probably no value in looking at the comments at some point, but it sounds like it's gotten a little bit easier as you ground into like, why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have not looked at the comments in a really long time. I mean, in some places it might be encouraging, but yeah, I think I just try to take it in stride and I don't, you know, I don't have a lot, I don't trolls really because I'm not that big. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think it's just trying to let go of like, yeah, you know, it, it, you know, I've had people email me sometimes and I'm like, why are you emailing me to tell me what's wrong with my talk? But that's okay. And it's like, you know, there's something up with you. This threatens you for some reason that you need to tear me down. And, and that's, that's on you. Um, and so trying to depersonalize it and remind myself that there are many people who have said, this is really helpful. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Easier said than done, but very important because otherwise what what's the alternative just not do the work that's influencing so and helping so many people exactly there's no one any good so yeah um we've started to well actually i'd I'd love to talk about your kind of favorite strategies that people can take to improve their self-worth today um, because i know you have a lot of really great ones so what are some of your favorite ones 
Yeah, I think the one I tend to come back to a lot is is self-compassion. And I know it's talked about a lot, but mm-hmm. I think people have a hard time actioning it um, yeah. and um, have a lot of resistance and a lot of fear around what would happen if they were kind to themselves. And I think one, I encourage people to, to um, experiment and test it out and see like, okay, so when you beat yourself up, what happens? And usually you hear, well, I feel awful and unmotivated. And then I just want to sit on the couch and binge Netflix for the rest of the day. And then I feel guilty that I did that. And then I blah, 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 right? Like you go down the road and I'm sure this relates so well to, you know, eating and nourishing. It's like, okay, well, you ate this food that, you know, maybe was not as nourishing for your body. You know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. this yeah. sort of felt like, okay, you're, you're, you know, gluten sensitive and you had a donut and it made you feel bad. And then you shame yourself for eating the donut and that, right. Like in down spiral. And then what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, I ate a donut. So I'm going to eat some cake and I'm going to eat some cookie, right? Like it just creates this thing. And so it's like, if you look at that, you can see like not helpful. And so the alternative is, Instead of, and so I would describe that as sort of abandoning yourself, right? Sort of saying, I'm done with you. Like you did that, I'm done with you. I'm walking away, like this disgust. I'm like, ugh, right? And it's like, so you're already feeling bad. You already maybe made a mistake or experienced a failure. And then you just are like, ugh, right? To yourself. And it's like, oof. And so the alternative is saying, can you be there for yourself? right? Like, can you just say, okay, you're feeling a lot of shame right now because you ate that thing or you did that thing or you messed up on that email and your whole body is feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to lose. Like I, you feel awful, but it's okay. Like I'm here for you. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. And it's okay right? Like that is really it. And I, I encourage people, like, if that feels like a bridge too far, imagine yourself as a kid. If that feels like a bridge too far, imagine your favorite baby animal, like a little puppy. And you're just like, it's the puppy that's upset and scared. And you're not going to kick the puppy out and lock the door. You're going to say, come here. You're going to say, it's okay. I, I got, I know that was scary. I got you. Right. And all of those things, they do a couple of things. One is you're treating yourself as worthy, even though there was a mistake or a failure or something happened. Right. So that's a message to you that you're still worthy. It also calms your nervous system down. It's so it's soothing physically and neurobiologically. And then it reactivates your prefrontal cortex. So you can make another choice, right? So you can say, okay, I sent that email. It had a big error. Okay. What do I need to do to clean it up? Right. Or I I just said something that was hurtful and I'm feeling a lot of shame, but I'm there with myself. And so what do I need to do to apologize? Right. So then you're able to pivot and be accountable for, the mistake or whatever happened in a kind way, but not in a punishing way. Yeah. I love that. And I know that, I mean, who can't benefit from that? And I can fall sometimes into this trap of like, you know, that's for some people. And, and for me, probably particularly in the past, maybe even a little bit now talking to yourself like that kindly, that supportively as I would to my kids, like, it's like, feels almost like, um, 
I don't even know what to describe it because I totally believe in it, right? Like I know it's effective, but they're still almost still even with me. And it's like, why are we so hesitant to be our own biggest supporter? I don't know for sure the answer to that, but I know that we all would benefit from doing exactly what you just said. And, and I love that you gave some steps to, if that feels like too much, like the kid and the puppy example is great because we're so much better. Cause sometimes I, I often do like, you know, your, your friend, but we are always harder on adults and our friends probably an adult. And so I, I like that reminder a lot because I actually forget about that. Sometimes I talk about self-compassion all the time as being effective, but do you have a sense of why we're so hesitant to, I mean, you, you talked about like the fear that it wouldn't work, right. Or that you'd become mm. complacent, but it feels like there's a, just a lot of cultural pressure and mm-hmm. about that too. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we have a culture of like man up, woman up, get it mm-hmm. together. Don't cry. Don't pull be- yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reality is it's vulnerable, right? Yeah. It's vulnerable to say I'm feeling a lot of shame and yeah. I'm feeling right. And it can feel easier to say, I'm just going to be hard on myself and like beat myself up. Right. It can feel protective. Right. Part Mm -hmm. of the reason is when we do that, even though we're really actually making it worse, it feels we're avoiding contact with the emotion by judging and criticizing what could I have done differently? And all of that sort of pulls us to avoid the emotion. So Mm -hmm. if the emotion is sadness and that feels really vulnerable, judging ourselves and thinking about all the reasons, all the ways we could have done it differently and all the reasons we suck, it sort of pulls us out of the sadness and yeah. that can feel more strong kind of thing, powerful um, mm-hmm. than the sitting with like, I feel deeply disappointed or I feel betrayed or I feel hurt, right? Those are vulnerable emotions and sitting with those and honoring them and acknowledging them is counter to the like, buck up, I don't care, it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect me, I'm unaffected kind of mentality that is very American (laughs) in some ways and um, can feel easier in the short term. But you know, what I like to talk about with clients is like, that doesn't mean the emotion just went away. (laughs) It's just gonna come back in a different way, in a less healthy way, Um, yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And I also want to share like when I was listening to your podcast and you kind of went through some of the self-talk that you use for yourself. And even now, like I don't have necessarily anything emotional I'm like working through like today, like, I, you know, pr- feeling pretty good today, but it like actually wells up emotion in me just listening to that. Cause I'm, and it's like, it's, it's interesting because it's, that happened when I was listening to the podcast. It happened when I heard you say it now, because I think my intuition is like, yes, like we mm. all need to be doing that. Like, I need to be doing that for myself more like, and it's just, it's very powerful. So I really appreciate like how tangible and practical the way you describe these things are, because it's really hard for people to wrap their head around that when they aren't used to doing it. Yeah. It's a big, it can be a really big shift. And that's why the like, okay, imagine your favorite baby animal. Like you would not be mean to a cute little puppy that's crying. If you just wouldn't. No. You know? And it's like, it's no, not actually out of it. <laughs> right. It's not about you. It's about this little puppy is scared and ashamed and just like peed on the floor or something. <laughs> and really sad and then scared. Yeah. And what are you going to do? You're going to hug it and you're going to say, you know, I'm not leaving you. Right. Like you're, you're safe here. That's the, that's the piece I think that might bring up the emotion. Yeah. I'm not leaving you. Right. Like, mm-hmm. 
well, there's, there's a couple different pieces, but like, yeah, it's so powerful. I'm not going anywhere to yourself. So cool. I love that. Um, and I, I guess in terms of the, we've kind of been touching on it the whole time about many of the listeners probably experience either overt body shame or internalized body shame, uh, or comments from families or doctors, and even just the pain of that. I mean, I, would you kind of recommend a similar process to responding to that pain and the, sh- the feeling of shame that that can very easily bring up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it's so hard because people feel that it's okay to comment on other people's bodies. And yeah. there's also so many assumptions made That if your body appears a certain way, this means this, this, and this about you, about how you are or not taking care of your body. And so often those assumptions are wrong. And yeah, it's so, I think just acknowledging like this hurts, right? Like this hurts, you know, and, and just even giving space and sort of bearing witness to that. I think is really powerful. And then again, like once you're soothed, reminding yourself of all the things you are doing to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Like remembering like you're doing so, whether that's like, you know, making sure to get enough water during the day or like go to sleep or like have a couple servings of vegetables or whatever. It's like, remind yourself that these people don't know what you're doing, even if they're your doctor, because doctors can make a lot of assumptions too. Yep. But just, yeah, I think the offering comfort, the saying like, you know, you are taking care of yourself the best way you know how and are able to right now. And that doesn't mean perfect. It does not have to mean perfect. And what is perfect with that? Yeah, but there it, is no perfect. That's yeah, that's the problem is like it could even in people that I've seen that have done so much work on on this, like they can have a even like a negative, um, like a health number of being a little higher and it can elicit this like self-doubt. And so Mm. it's, you're never going to do all the things, but I I do love that. I think, yeah, it just Mm -hmm. being able to like, like even make a list of all the things and and, in this like very comprehensive way and yeah. And all the things you're doing, like the stress management components to that and, and the broader, like not, not eating and exercise only. We talk a lot about that here. It's like, yeah, of course that matters. And there's way more to it. Right. 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 Yeah. I think that is very powerful. Um, well, and I want to ask you, so we ask all of our, or I ask all of our guests, um, what is, uh, one thing that you have truly intrinsic motivation for to do. And this is as a reminder to the listeners, a behavior you do for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior itself. So maybe you enjoy it, you find it challenging and or satisfying in its own right. Hmm. I would say probably dancing, which I haven't been doing as much of recently. I'm like itching to get back into a studio and a dance class. I'm hoping that can happen in the fall, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely something that like stretches me and challenges me. It requires me to use different parts of my brain and body, but I just love it. Like I just, there's something that comes alive in me when I'm dancing that's different than when I am doing other things. Yeah. Cause you grew up dancing, right? Yeah. I, I sort of, you know, did the little four-year-old tap class and ballet class and then started again when I was about 12, 13 and danced pretty 
seriously in high school um, and then have done it sort of on and off since then. What dance classes do you like now? I take a modern dance class, which I really love. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just fun. It's fun to learn choreography. And then we perform from time to time, which is also a lot of fun. And, you know, you're working with other dancers and you have to memorize choreography and stretch and get the flexibility going. And so it's just something I really love. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you, when you talk about that in your podcast, it's actually been making me think, cause I grew up dancing and I definitely resonated. You talked about like this, like dancing full out and really letting go and showing your emotion as you dance. And I was bad at that. I definitely had the perfectionistic, like I was very buttoned up and very like it affected my performance. I wasn't like Mm -hmm. as good as I could have maybe been if I was like more myself and Mm -hmm. had more of that unconditional worth. Right. And it's been interesting to reflect because as I've gotten older, um, I, I have that more. And, um, at our, at my wedding, I actually did a dance with my dad and like at that dance, I was able to just like be my full self. And I was thinking back to like why that was so important to me. And of course, dancing with my dad, but it was also like, me just like I'm doing my mm-hmm. thing and I don't really care and I had so much fun so mm-hmm. like I danced full out in that one so nice. I think that's a nice um yeah I find it intrinsically motivating now too I liked it then too but it just wasn't I was uh reserved I guess is mm-hmm. how I would describe it or you know very concerned what people think I would say mm-hmm. yeah trying to do it all right um yeah And then my other motivation question is this idea of, we always talk about trying to shift from a should to a choose to, um, or sort of a, maybe a want to, but this idea of integrated motivation is a behavior that you was always a should for you that you struggled maybe to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently because you value it and, or it's like part of your identity, but maybe you don't always love it. So something that's a little bit more challenging to intrinsically love. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah. I mean, I think I might say meditation. I mm-hmm. think, um, when I was in my twenties, early twenties, my dad used to be like, you should meditate. And I was like, I roll not doing that. <laughs> then, right. um, as part of my clinical training, I like to, you know, we were trained in meditation and I remember just the resistance I had when I was first, I was like, Oh, I just can't sit here. And he just wanted to sit. And I was just all of the resistance. Like I can't, I'm not, I can't, I can't, I'm not right. Oh yeah. Yep. And then because I was sort of had to do it as part of my training and was facilitating meditation groups, I, you know, I sort of forced me to stick with it mm-hmm. and start experiencing the benefits and seeing the benefits for, you know, clients. And then it's something that I've incorporated into my own life because it calms me, it centers me, it starts my day off really well. And so that is definitely something that I've had an interesting, you know, the relationship started with meditation started from resistance. And it's Mm -hmm. now something that, you know, I have a reminder on my phone to remind me to do it every day because I know that my days go better when I do it. You do it pretty consistently now. Yeah. I didn't do it this morning, but almost every day, almost every day I meditate. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. I think that like an example of how the external like um, have to because of the training actually can create some boundaries. That's why it's like for for let's say exercise, someone could put some external constraints on themselves if they choose to like I'm going to sign up for this 12 week class to 
I don't know, learn kickboxing, even though I think I'm going to hate it. And you just yeah. finish the class because sometimes within that, you can find a way to integrate it into the person that you want to be and realize like, wow, I am getting a lot more benefit out of this. And um, so it's this balance of like not forcing yourself. That's external controlled motivation. But when you create or are forced to, because of a program, mm -hmm. create some boundaries that can be, that can allow you to get that um, more, it sounds like it is more intrinsic now. Like, yeah. you know, like, Oh, I do feel better when I do this. And so there's some value there. Yeah. And I think with a lot of these things, they're delayed gratification. Right. And so it's like the structure, the sort of thing that keeps you doing it, even when it's not immediately gratifying or enjoyable helps you to stay in it until you start receiving or experiencing some of those benefits that lead to more of the intrinsic motivation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, where can people learn more about the very important work that you're doing and connect with you because they all need to. <laughs> Thanks. So I have a website. It's dradiagooden.com. So that's D-R and then A-D-I-A-G-O-O-D-E-N.com. We'll link to that. Awesome. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Adia Gooden. I'm also on Facebook. Um, and I have a free ebook that shares four practices to connect to your unconditional self-worth. So um, maybe that can be linked to in the show notes and it's also on my website as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all that you do for your time today. I truly appreciate it. I truly, um, I know that you're helping many, many people. And I just really appreciate you spending time with uh, me today and us today. Thanks so much for having me. It has been a lot of fun. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Let's recap by going over the top things that you need to remember when working on cultivating unconditional self-worth. So tip number one is the probably one of the main ways I'm I'm going to change my thinking in this area moving forward. This is the fact that you are very likely underutilizing the skill of self-compassion. So I can almost 100% guarantee it. I know definitively that I am, particularly after this interview. I, I've definitely made a lot of progress with self-compassion, but this interview showed me I can go deeper. I can work on using it and I will be working on using it to create an even kinder, more nurturing, caring approach and turning towards my pain and not avoiding. So like I said, right now, I really take a practical approach like, okay, you messed up. You're not perfect. That's hard. Move on. And I think that sometimes we need to go deeper, especially for these bigger sources of pain. So I, I think back to how different my life might've been if I had known these things sooner. But again, I've said it many times today, it's never too late to start now. Self-compassion is effective and it's time to start using it differently to relate to our pain, move through our stuff so we stop holding ourselves back. All right, number two is that some of the ways that we think about mental well-being and psychological health are really antiquated and outdated and might be harmful. So we touched briefly on this fact that in the field of psychology, the precedent is not to share, be a blank slate, be objective and sort of a suggestion or advice dispensary. And yet when we really question that, not only can we sometimes help people more effectively, but as professionals, we also may become more free. 
And so this relates to our discussion last time, episode 27, about four reasons to share your story and why I shared mine. Of course, there's no exact roadmap for what this looks like, but I thought it was pretty interesting discussion around this idea that we aren't going to all fall into categories or checkboxes like this person has depression and self-worth issues, this one doesn't. That's not how it works, and yet that's often how we think about it. So this... Um, it's same thing with self-compassion. Like this person has self-compassion, this one doesn't. No, it's a journey. We're all on. We all have shame and self-doubt, and we can all work on and benefit from the skills mentioned here. So takeaway number three is the more you work on your relationship with yourself, the more you're going to be able to do those vulnerable things and pick yourself up when you inevitably fall. So this doesn't have to be like develop self compassion, self-worth first, and then do the uncomfortable thing. And it also doesn't have to be, you know, feel terrified, fake it till you make it and just do the thing. Your journey is unique and yours alone. So you don't want to avoid things or get stuck in perfectionism. Like I have to have perfect self-worth before I move forward. But you also don't have to feel like you have to do something just because someone says so. You get to choose and it's not one or the other. It's both and. You're working on your relationship with yourself as you continue to move towards vulnerable things like putting yourself out there with new ideas or putting yourself out there in a dating relationship or in a friendship, any of those things. We can do both at the same time, but we can also trust our intuition about how much we kind of work on ourselves. And I think Dr. Gooden had a great explanation of this in today's conversation. Okay, final takeaway is that external boundaries can help with behaviors that have maybe some delayed gratification to become more intrinsically motivating under the right conditions. So Dr. Gooden talks about her initial resistance to meditation, then she was forced to teach it and practice it, and then this allowed her to gradually see the benefits over time. And I think this is, relates to how we can sometimes guide ourselves to maybe an exercise routine or an eating pattern we might really feel good doing eventually, but in the short term, it might be uncomfortable. So like if you're learning a new skill, cooking or meal prep, or you're working different parts of your brain or muscles with a workout, maybe you try a new dance program. And at first you're just like, this is hard and I don't like this. So setting up those external boundaries, like paying for a class in advance that's 12 weeks can sometimes create that space to explore if the behavior truly fits for you. So, you know, do I feel good with this exercise plan or is this eating pattern working for me? If you have some external accountability, it can keep you doing it because some of these things like meditation have delayed gratification. You, I, I'm sure I could use some meditation external boundaries to help me see the benefits because it's hard to do something if you're not seeing the benefits immediately. So those are the takeaways I have for you. I hope you enjoyed this. Remember, as we finish up here, you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you, and it's not too late. Developing unconditional self-worth is a pivotal strategy for all humans. Additionally, understanding your why and your values is pivotal in developing this autonomous motivation. So if you haven't already, grab my free guide and get take that first step today. It's time to stop avoiding and take steps that actually serve us. DrHondorp.com forward slash 
goals. You'll find that there. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorf.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.